hope you enjoy this message from South City C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. Next three weeks, so we're going to take you on a little bit of a journey. We're going to open a conversation about this area of sex. And we're going to talk about sex in church. I know, scandalous, right? So, just a disclaimer before we start. We are going to try and keep it seemly, but with the series with sex in the title, we want to make you aware if you have kids or if you feel uncomfortable. Uh, Manuel's all right? Okay, comfortable <laughs> with such discussions. Hey, then, then feel free to check out at any time. This is a, a place we don't, we don't mind if you do that. Uh, but the thing with this series is that we're going to do much more than just talk about sex. We want to talk about, in this series, how to live well. Live well, with joy, with wisdom and purity in every stage of life. We're going to look tonight at how to do this as a single person. Next week, we're going to have a look at our dating lives. And then in week three, we're going to look at our marriages. Apparently, men and women think about sex ten times a day. Not every seven seconds as we used to believe. I mean, that would be 8,000 times a day, which just seems a little bit excessive, but apparently it's 10 times a day. And we did one message on sex 18 months ago and figured, uh, seeing as we think about it 10 times a day, it was probably time we did another series. Last time we did this series, we mentioned the reason that we talked about it. We said that we all need sexual ethics. We need to know how to behave in this area of sex and sexuality. And I had a three-step formula. It was this, that we all need an idea of how sex works best. Everybody in the world does. We all have to have standards. How does sex work really well? And then my second point is that our ideas don't satisfy or work. If you just go along with what everyone else does, or if you go with what feels natural to you, that, then the result is really evident. Our ideas don't satisfy and they don't work. And the third point is that this is because sex is best done when we do it God's way. He was the maker of it. He was the creator of it, so we need to look to him. God cares about all of our lives. When we choose to follow him, we choose to lay every aspect of our life down to him in surrender. We accept that his will for our life is the way that we now also want to live. We deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. That's what Jesus asked us to do. We say, God, my life is yours. Take it all. Do with it what you will. And it turns us into countercultural people whose values and behavior are determined by God. And God created sex for a very specific place of expression. And as we did that last one, Last message 18 months ago, we summed it up this way, that God has designed sex as a sacred gift for use in marriage between a man and a woman for their fulfillment and enjoyment. Now, I'm aware that this leads to all kinds of difficult implications. Different groups will find this kind of exclusivity difficult. When we want to acknowledge you tonight, there are many who find it difficult to save sex for marriage, and some haven't. There are those who feel same-sex attraction. There are people who struggle with sexual addictions that they just can't seem to control. There are those who believe it's okay to engage in casual sex. And there are even people who have suffered from abuse and have done nothing wrong, but can still find this a tremendously difficult topic to talk about. 
If you're in any one of those categories, we want you to know tonight that God loves you and we love you too. And we pray that this is a safe place for you, that you feel welcome and that you find that there are things here, whether you agree or disagree, that, that there will be things that challenge you and help you in the series and, and hopefully help move you closer towards God. So tonight what we're going to do is we're going to talk about singleness. We're going to discover the value that God places on it and how it can be difficult and how we can make it great. So we live in a world that is geared towards couples. By the age of 30, 50% of people would have been married at least once. By my age, which is 40, the number is actually 80%. And that's not including the people who chose to live together but not get married, or the people who have several relationships but don't end up marrying. It seems like everyone is looking for someone. We're looking for that person to whom we can say, you complete me. You know that old Jerry Maguire line? You complete me. We're looking for that, that person. But have you ever thought about that line? You complete me. It implies that we are incomplete without a relationship. We're incomplete if we don't have that romantic other person. And that can be the way the world treats single people, incomplete people. It was even more extreme in the ancient world. In the first century, Rabbi Eliezer said, any man who has no wife is no proper man. The Talmud went even further and it said, the man who is not married at 20 is living in sin. It's quite extreme. Given that background, it's astonishing how positive the New Testament is about singleness. Jesus promotes singleness. He sees it as a good thing. And so does the Apostle Paul. Listen to these words from 1 Corinthians 7, 7 to 8. Paul says, I wish everyone was single just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. Paul calls this a special gift, something God gives to people to allow them to have a greater focus in life. It's most likely that both Paul and Jesus were single, and they weren't alone. There are other characters in the Bible who were single too. Anna, who prophesied uh, over Jesus. You know, Jesus, the baby comes. She was literally left at the altar she was at the altar waiting for the, the Messiah to come. She was left at the altar. Okay. Uh, there was Jeremiah the prophet. Got to pull out sometimes. It's just Nehemiah who rebuilt Jerusalem's walls and John the Baptist. That wasn't intentional. But they may, John the Baptist may have been single just because he had too many, ate too many locusts. Now, there are two kinds of single people. The first are those who are single for a season. They will enter into a relationship, and this is just a period of time of weeks or months or years. And then there are those who will be single for the entirety of their life or even for decades. I was in that first group for a number of years. When I was younger, I was bullied. Now, I know I started the story this way last week, and last week it was a lie. This week it's true. It's not the Karate Kid this week. Um, I did a paper run as a 12-year-old, and on my paper run, I passed a couple of horse paddocks. One of them had these two girls in it, two sisters, about my age, and they uh, liked to ride their horses and, and harass me. I, I actually thought it would be a good idea to chat these girls up. It did not go well. Someone actually told me that one of these girls' names was Teresa Green, 
And so I thought that was hilarious. Why would you name your children Trees Are Green? Um, and so I thought that would be a good opening line. Turns out not a good opening line. Didn't get me in, uh, in her good books. And I was probably a bit creepy. Guys, don't be creepy when you talk to girls. Uh, but these girls were mean. They were mean girls. They started making fun of me and bullying me. One day, they waited for me to come. They hid behind some bushes, and I went to deliver a paper, and they mysteriously appeared as if from nowhere, and they had gloves on and horse poo in their hands. And they said, we're going to throw horse poo in your face. And so I sat there thinking, what can I do? And so I did the only thing I could think of. I looked up at the sky and went, oh, that's interesting. And they both turned around and looked at it too. There was nothing there, of course. I jumped on my bike and I rode away as fast as I could, hid behind a tree until it got dark and I knew that gone. <laughs> I decided the single life was the life for me. Girls were terrifying, too terrifying. And I stayed single until I was nearly 25, when I started dating my now wife. So I know what singleness can be like, and I've experienced some of the great things and also some of the difficulties with that. I've been reading heaps of blogs this week from others who have talked on this thing of singleness. They've expressed the difficulty as well, particularly in the church. Donna says this, In the past when I was asked, where is your husband, or you aren't married, looks that expressed embarrassment would show on my face, or I would grin to cover my pain, when others would comment, you'd make a good wife. Deborah says, the thing I most disliked hearing as a single was that singleness is a gift. For all the struggles that came with singleness, it was really hard to see it as a blessing, much less a gift. Like one of my readers put it, if singleness is a gift, I'm holding on to the receipt because I plan on returning it. <laughs> and as I look back on my time of singleness, I relate to all of that. There was times it was really lonely. My friends were coupling around me, and a number of them were getting married quite young. It was a time of asking, where do I fit? The, uh, the church and my friendship group all seemed to be geared towards couples, and, and everyone had found someone, and I was by myself. It was also a time of sexual temptation, where I had all of these desires and urges that were left unfulfilled, and it was hard to know what to do with them. Do I let them lead me? Or do I repress them? I uh, recently read a post on Facebook from a Christian speaking out against something called the purity movement. As they did, heaps of other people commented on how the church's teaching on purity had been destructive to them. And so now they tended to live without rules, without restraint. And the purity movement has been a big deal in Christian circles for a long time. It promotes some pretty extreme messages about sex and sexuality. And I do understand the pushback. There are actually a lot of things to critique from some of the messages that we've heard over the years. The way that a person's sexual history becomes the primary judge of their spiritual status. The way it makes an idol out of marriage. The way it describes someone as damaged goods because of their sexual past. The way it seems to, and I don't know why this is, put all the pressure on girls. The message is that guys can't control themselves, so girls, you better step up. Girls would wear rings or, or bracelets with true love weights on it. Yet you'd really see uh, guys openly affirming the same message. So I understand the pushback. 
And I didn't engage in the Facebook conversation, but tried to listen. But if I had engaged, my comment would have been, can I be against the purity movement, but still for purity? Because while some of the ways we've done it have been wrong, the basic message is still true. God cares deeply about our purity. The Bible has this amazing picture of purity. It's about much more than sex. The Bible is certainly concerned with sexual purity, but it's more concerned with purity of heart, that God's people would fully devote themselves to him, and then they would follow, uh, see him, they would see him, and they would know him. And that's not limited to our sex lives, but it certainly uh, has an impact on how we treat the sexual part of our lives. For example, there's heaps in your notes, but here's one verse. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3-5. God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his body and live in holiness and honour, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. We should aspire to a sexual ethic that treats sex as sacred, whether we're married, dating, or single. And it's difficult. It's difficult. When I was single, I struggled with this too. I had great successes, but I also struggled through persistent failure. Especially hard, I found, is Jesus' command against lust. Matthew 5, 27 to 28. You have heard the commandment that says, Do not, uh, you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who ever looks at a woman with lust, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. We often take this as a command for repression. Guys and girls need to repress their sexual desires. Stay away from anything that might increase sexual feelings in you. They did this uh, great study a few years back for a group of people, and they told them, what we want you to do is we want you not to think about white bears. Whatever you do, do not think about white bears. They really go. And what they found is they found that actually, if people really tried, they could do it in the short term. But then what would happen is, later, their minds would be flooded with thoughts of white bears. And so they could, in the short term, control themselves. But they actually, in the long term, it meant that they thought about white bears more. And this can be what happens if we attempt to force ourselves to stop thinking about sex. It causes people great frustration because they can't stop themselves thinking about it. And they feel sinful and wrong and even more of a failure because they try. But then an even worse thing can happen. An even worse thing that can happen is that sometimes people do this often enough where they go, I'm just not going to think about it, I'm going to push that down, I'm going to repress it, and they completely succeed. And they manage to push down their sexual desires so much and so fully that when they come to a time where they can express their sexuality, they have a diminished desire and are often filled with shame in doing something that God calls pure and he calls good. Christianity, though, is not about the annihilation of sexual desire, but the reorientation of sexual desire for the sake of love. However, there is also really good evidence that Jesus here is not actually preaching against complete repression, but encouraging us to stop those desires from controlling us. 
Jesus isn't saying that you should feel shame when you have sexual impulses towards another person. Instead, he is encouraging people to avoid the lustful imagination that follows the impulse and enticing others to feel the same way. What this does mean is that pornography and masturbation is an area we need to control. And I say pornography and masturbation because they often go together. Now, I think there may be a case for a single person to occasionally use masturbation as a way to release sexual tension. I believe this is more of a conscience issue that should be uh, accompanied by prayer and an accountability with others. Something between you and God. There may be a general rule where you say, hey, if in doubt, it's better to keep that out. I know I'm more liable for that to cause things to rise in me rather than to uh, keep them away. So you've just got to manage that. Pornography, however, clearly crosses a line. And I say this, knowing full well that it is highly addictive for both men and women, and there will be guys and girls here who struggle with it. Tonight, can I encourage you to keep struggling with it? Don't give in to it, keep struggling with it. Pornography is massively destructive. They've done studies that have shown that it increases people's doubts on religion. It declines their prayer life. There are people who are foregoing relationships because porn is an easier way to meet sexual needs, even though it doesn't fulfill any of those sexual needs, those deep needs that we have. They've also done show, studies that show that erectile dysfunction, yes, we said that in church, has gone recently uh, from 5% of under 40s to 35% of under 40s since uh, internet porn became a thing. So it is having massive damaging effects. And this is something that you will need others to help you overcome. What I've done is I've uh, created a document that deals with some steps on how to overcome addiction to pornography. And at the back, as you leave, you can pick up a copy. And if someone's watching, you just say, hey, this is for a friend. They really need this. And that's totally fine. Uh, there's about 15 copies back there. Pick one up if it's helpful for you, great. It's something that we need to continue to work on. Single, dating, marry. But did you also know that God's gift of your sex drive is actually much bigger than your sexual urges? Testosterone, estrogen, and progesterone regulate our sex drive, but they actually do so much more. They give us energy. They aid in health and growth of hair, of bones, of muscles. They help uh, develop our brain. And we should celebrate these things. We should celebrate the way God has made us and ask him to help us not to kill it, but to treat it with self-control, living with purity and complete devotion to him. It's a challenge, it's a real challenge, but something that I think we can all continue to work on. So then, we've talked about the purity aspect. What does it look like to live a life with wisdom and joy as a single person? I'm going to give you four things to consider tonight, four things to just have a think about uh, as to what this could look like uh, for you. Number one, tahi. Don't focus on your singleness. The more you focus on your singleness, the more you will miss out on what a great season it is. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, 32 to 33, I want to be free from the concerns of this life. I want you to be free. 
An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. There's some marriage advice for you guys. That's part of your job. Please your wife. Uh, then Paul says that, actually says the exact same thing to women. When I first started working at a church, uh, I decided that I was going, this was going to be my focus. So I actually spent my uh, Bible college years and my first year full-time working at a church. And I just said, look, I'm just, relationships is not my focus at the moment. I'm going to give myself in this season fully towards the work that God has for me. And it was a busy time, and I was able to give my all to God in a way that's really different to the way I'm able to do it now. And I really value that season, and that can be an amazing thing. You don't focus on your singleness. You focus on what you can do with the time and energy that you have. Being single gives you a, a chance to enjoy life unencumbered. Don't be so focused on what could be. Oh, I want that relationship. But you miss out on what is happening today. Find purpose and work and hobbies Sport and adventures. Don't focus on your singleness. Tahi Rua. Singleness is not a waiting season, it's a preparation season. Some people are single and they don't want to be. In the blogs I read, I came across this idea from many people that they were waiting, like God was testing their patience. If I just wait long enough, then God will reward me. Yeah, God does walk with us through such seasons. But singleness for those who want to be married is much more than a waiting season. It's a preparation season. God is preparing you for the future. Part of that might be a relationship. But it could also be that God is preparing you for what he has for you in the future. So work on yourself in three ways. Work on your character. Become the kind of person that someone would love to spend their life with. Work on your purity. Be a person of integrity. Again, on the porn thing, married couples uh, with one spouse who watches porn are two to three times more likely to divorce in the first two years of marriage. So we go, oh, it doesn't matter because I'm single and this is an adequate outlet. But then we get married and we actually find not necessarily all that goes away and it becomes difficult. So work on your character, work on your integrity, and work on your abs. Now, I didn't quite know what to say in number three, but, but... just work on that whole aspect of your life. Have fun, enjoy it. Well, everyone would love to have abs, so use the opportunity, work on them. <laughs> but don't treat this like a contract. Don't say, if I'm pure, God will reward me with an awesome spouse, because life doesn't always work that way. Conversely, if you're single, don't think it's because you're not good enough for marriage. It's not what's going on here. It's not God punishing you. If you feel the single season is over, then I encourage you, get yourself out there. Don't just wait for something to happen. Be part of making it happen. Uh, Toru, uh, marriage is not the goal of life. Following Jesus is. Marriage is not the goal of life. Following Jesus is. A relationship will not solve all of your life's problems. Marriage will not complete you. If you're not happy as a single person, marriage will not suddenly make you happy. It will not make you complete. We over-idealize marriage. We think that when we get married, all our sexual frustration will be gone. Our struggles with sexual temptation will be no more. Our loneliness will be gone. 
But let me tell you, from, from all of the experience I've gained from years of pastoral work and things I've seen in my own life, this is so far from the truth. Many in this room who aren't married will tell you that sometimes some of those areas actually become more difficult when they got married. Sexual temptation because, uh, became greater because they now had a greater hunger for sex. Loneliness increased because they thought they'd be fully known, but that doesn't easily happen. It takes time and sacrifice. Marriage is not the goal of your life. Jesus is. Make him your fo- the focus of your life now. Tahi rua turufa. You can live without sex. You can't live without companionship. Did you know that if you don't have sex, you won't die? <laughs> this is like a revelation for some people. You can live without sex. You can live without an orgasm. It's okay. It's not a need in the same way that food, rest, or breathing is. However, we do have needs, deep relationship needs within our soul. If this is not being fulfilled by a single other person or mainly by another person, it should never be in that one person anyway, but if it's not being fulfilled by a single other person, then we need to look towards our family, our friends, our church, to provide that place where we can be fully known, fully loved, and fully know and fully love others. Just because you're single, it doesn't mean you need to be alone. And the challenge, I think, for those of us here tonight who are married, is to make sure that we provide a place for others to know and be known, to include them as they are, to make sure they are a part of our lives as well. If you're single here tonight, we love you. We support you. We want to help you. Will you help us help you? Here you go, Jerry Maguire again. Help us help you. Let us know how we can support you in your singleness. Tonight, I want to challenge you to be honest about the struggles that you have. Thank God for your singleness and ask him to see how he can help you to use it now. Look to God to fulfill you, not a relationship. Invest in others and be connected. And don't just follow the outward rules of purity, but seek a purity that goes right to your heart. Ask for God's help with the things that you struggle with. Do you think we can do that? We can do that together? Yeah. Can I have the band up behind me? You guys can all stand to your feet. Tonight I want to pray for you, wherever you're at, and it might be tonight that there are some things you realize you need to work on. You look at your purity and you go, yeah, either through some of those uh, sexual temptation areas, or even just through a heart that's divided. I'm not as devoted to God as I could be. I'm not purely His. Tonight He wants to come and He wants to Uh, meet you in this place and draw you into that place of devotion again. It could be tonight that you're just struggling. You're struggling with what we've talked about as God's standard for sex. Going, wow, it's just, it's too hard. Can't do it. And tonight you might also recognize that you failed. You're in a place of failure. And it just seems to be happening over and over again. 
or it's happened in the past, and you find that the difficulty of that is just too much. Do you know God's grace is here tonight? Part of the purity movement is that we have extolled this idea of virginity. See, that, that is kind of the highest spiritual value that we have. I don't actually think God cares that much about that. He doesn't really care so much about our virginity. But he cares desperately about our purity. He wants us to be completely devoted to him. Whatever has happened in the past, whatever is gone, is gone. Today, you can make a choice to say, God, I choose to surrender to you and to do life your way. Because my honest opinion and what I've seen work out in my life and in the lives of many others is that following him, choosing his way, is best and will lead to a great life. Can we pray? Why don't you bow your heads, close your eyes tonight. And just bring to him your struggles. Bring to him the things that are going on within you. We all have a tendency to drift towards a lack of purity. And today maybe it's a chance for you to go, you know what, it's not bad, it's not bad. But I know that God's calling me to a higher standard. Bring that to him. Or you might say, I know that I'm a long way away. May you see tonight how you can make one step in the right direction and then keep moving. So Lord God, right now I pray for every person here, for those who are struggling with their purity. Lord, I pray that you would help them to be devoted to you. Lord, for people here who have failed, Lord, may you meet them with your forgiveness as they repent of those things. May they know your grace, which creates a future that's much better than anything we could plan. May they know your presence and the difficulty. Lord, for any person here tonight who is single, we thank you, God, that that is a gift. Lord, it can be hard. It can be tiresome at times. But it can also be great. So, Lord, I pray for every single person here in this place, whether it's for a season, whether it's for a long time, Lord, that your grace would lift them up, that your grace would sustain them, Lord, that you would bring them a sense of value, that you would show them that they matter because they matter to you. You would show them the ways that they can get those deep needs fulfilled so that when the time comes, if the time comes, that they enter into a relationship, they're not looking to that other person to do something they can't possibly do. But there's a an increase, a companionship that happens there. Bless all my friends here tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To learn more about our church, visit c3chch.org.